Hi, everyone. I am so excited to welcome Shay Earnshaw to Storybook, the podcast. Shay is a New York Times bestselling author of The Wicked Deep and Winterwood, and she's published through Simon & Schuster. Those two novels are young adult novels, and I have her on the podcast today because her work is beautiful and moving, and the way she writes is so enthralling and exciting. And as a person, I love the way that she approaches so much mindfulness in her life. It comes through in her posts. It comes through in her books. And there's just a quality about Shay that makes so many people want to just get to know her better, even if they are also a fan of her book. So welcome, Shay. And can you tell us a little bit more about you or what you have in the future coming up? Hi, Heidi. Well, first, thank you so much for having me today. I'm, I'm so excited to talk storytelling and catch up. Um, yeah, I am a young adult author, although I do have my debut adult fiction book is coming out next year. Um, it's called A History of Wild Places, and it's also coming out with Simon and Schuster. Um, and it's a crime suspense thriller. So I'm I'm going in a new direction next year, which is exciting. Gosh, you know, Shay, it's so interesting because when I see these books that you write that have kind of like a wickedness or a creepiness to them, and now you talk about the theme for the next one. Knowing you, it's so interesting in the creative process that I might not have pegged you as someone who writes those kinds of books. So it's so interesting to see just where creativity leads us and and where we're headed. So one Mm. of the main reasons, one of the main things I'd love for you to tell us about is your journey to becoming a writer. And the reason I'm interested in that is so many people I know would like to be a writer, would maybe like to get started They wonder about publishing, you know, what does it take and all of these things. And I'd love to just hear your story about how you were inspired to be a writer and how this all came to be. Mm, Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I was really lucky that I grew up in a house that was filled with books. We lived in the country. We had chickens and goats. Um, We lived on a well that froze in the winter. Um, electricity that was intermittent at best, but we always had books. Um, And I remember that there was a library very close to where we lived and every year they had an annual book sale. And they always had a table with free books and my mother would let me go choose as many free books as I wanted. Um, Most of them were adult books. And, but my parents never really censored what I read. Uh, for better or worse. But I think I was pretty young when I decided that I wanted to write books and I wanted to tell stories. Um, When I was 10 years old, my, again, very sweet, very encouraging mother, both of my parents were artists. My mother was a painter. My dad was a sculptor, although they worked day jobs to pay the bills. Um, But she took me back to that same library. And at the time we had no internet. So we would go and there were these reference books that listed all of the literary agents in New York City. Now you couldn't check these books out. You could not take these books home, but you could go in, pull these reference books off the shelf and write down the names and addresses of these literary agents who you could then mail your manuscript to. Now for people who maybe don't know how publishing works, the first step typically in getting published is you have to get a literary agent. And these are sort of known in the industry as the gatekeepers in publishing. And once you get a literary agent, they represent you and your work 
and they will go shop around your book to different publishers and try to find a home for it and find somebody who will publish your books. So um, my sweet mother somehow knew this or figured this out. And we went to the library and we wrote down these addresses. Um, of course, again, we didn't have email. So we were snail mailing a manuscript. And at 10, I had written a book, which I don't remember now what that book was about. <laughs> and it was probably 20 pages long for all I know. Um, but I went home and on a typewriter, I typed out a query letter saying who I was. And I sent probably the first chapter of my book and we sent it out to several literary agents. And then I rode my bike down to the mailbox every single day to see if I got a response. And I did, I did get responses from those literary agents. They were all rejections, <laughs> as you might expect. Um, and now thinking back, those poor literary agents who were getting this query letter from a 10 year old who wanted to be a writer. Um, some of them were form rejections, but some of them were actually really thoughtful. And people said to me, these agents said, you know, keep writing. You clearly have a dream. And in publishing, people talk a lot about the amount of rejection you face. To be an author, you're going to face a lot of rejection up until the point you get published. And I was facing this rejection at 10 years old. And looking back, that could have really discouraged me. But instead, it really fueled my desire to be a writer. Because what it told me was there was a way to connect with publishing. There was a way in which I could reach a hand out into the universe and my dream was a hand reaching back. And I just had to fill in that gap. And I realized then that I just had to write a book good enough that a literary agent would say, yes, this is a book that I want and that I'm gonna go. So, so it, from that point on at 10 years old, just inspired me to keep going. Now it was many years later <laughs> before I actually got an agent or a book deal. Uh, but it, it started for me really young. So Shay, that's what's interesting to me about that. Many things are interesting. Such a yeah. beautiful story. I'd love to hear that your parents were supportive. I mm -hmm. really love that they were supportive of that. And I love the idea that our minds, no matter what age, so at 10 years old, really, if given that chance or just that support or that opening, the things that a child or any age really will just try, because you were just trying, you, you had no idea what was going on. And you just, this was your first time and you were so young to do that. So I find that story really great that your parents were supportive, but also that you went for your dream, whatever it was. And I love how you explain that what it opened up for you was that there was a way, like all you did was just give it a shot. You just sent this out there, but it, it seems like it, it said, oh my goodness, wait here, there's actually a way. I think sometimes when we have a dream, we leave it in that dream state so long because we don't even know where to begin or how to start. And you really, at that age, took a step that it sounds like gave you really a foundation, like a, a belief in a, it gave you a foundation to, to jump off from as you got more serious. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So rejection's a 10. Then, then what happened? Did you, did you stop writing for a while? Did life get too busy or what's the next part? Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of time went by. I, I continued to write stories. Um, you know, that's one of the beautiful things I guess about publishing is that you, you don't necessarily need to have a degree in creative writing or they don't care what your background is, what your religion is, what your race is. They just care if you wrote a good book. And so that became so clear to me at that age that I just, all I had to do was write a book good enough. So I continued to write um, into my twenties. Of course I had to go work a day job. I wasn't totally clear on what the avenue was to finally get on the right path to get published. Um, you know, it, seem, it seems like a long shot, I think, for anybody. This idea of writing a book and having it be published and having people you don't know read it, for anyone, seems like an impossibility. No matter how deep that dream is or that drive, that still feels like a, a big impossible dream. <laughs> um, and in my 20s, I actually experienced something interesting. I was working a lot of random jobs, as many people do in their 20s. I was taking community um, college classes, whatever I could afford at the time. It was, they were sporadic. It was philosophy classes and things I was interested in. Um, and I had gotten a job working at a computer tech company. And it was a part-time job. And I was working in the accounting department. Now, for somebody who loves to write and loves books, I can tell you that accounting and numbers and math are not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> That is not something I love. It's not something I enjoy doing or that I'm adept at. But the job that I had didn't involve numbers. I was just filing things. I was organizing. I was sort of running around the office and helping where I could. And it was a team of, I think, 10 women who were wonderful. I connected with these women. It ended up being a nice job in that I enjoyed going and seeing these women every day, even if the work didn't fulfill me. Now, I was there for, I think, six months, and I one day went in and was told to go down to HR, and I went in there, and I remember the woman's face, and she was smiling, and she was excited about something, and I sat down next to her, and she told me that one of the other women who work in accounting was moving, and she was leaving, and they needed to replace her position, and she said to me, we want to offer you that job, but here's the thing. They had some rules within the company that they could only hire someone who had a degree in finance or accounting or, or, or something in, in that realm, which of course I did not have. <laughs> and she said, we want to pay for you to go to college and get a degree in accounting. And then, and while you're going to school, we're actually going to hire you as a minimum wage worker to do her job and learn her job and pay you to go to school. And once you get your degree, we will give you a salary job with benefits, all the bells and whistles, and you will have this position and you can work here. And I think she thought in that moment, I was going to jump out of my chair and say, yes, absolutely, I will do this because who would be foolish enough to say no to that? I mean, here I was handed a path, an opportunity, 
a, a rare opportunity that many people never get in their lifetime to have your college education paid for. But I said to her that I needed to think about it. So I left. And of course, you know, I talked with my parents, my boyfriend at the time, who later became my husband. Um, and everyone said, you know, you can't say no to this. This is a once in a lifetime deal. And so I really thought about it. And, and I was meditating a lot. Thankfully, I had been introduced to meditation at that point in my life. And I was meditating on it and going on long walks. And my intuition told me so clearly. And it wasn't that my intuition knew the other path I was supposed to go on. I wasn't at a fork in the road necessarily, but my intuition was saying, this is not it. This is not your path. This is not the life that was built or meant for you. I don't yet know what the right path or avenue is to get where you're supposed to be going, but this isn't it. And so I went back in a week later and not only did I go into HR and say to them, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to accept this opportunity, but I also am going to quit my part-time job here. And I was done working there a couple of weeks later because I could see the slippery slope. I could see that I was going down a path I didn't want to go down. And for me, it was really learning in that moment that the universe and my intuition isn't always saying what's right or saying yes, but sometimes it's just saying a big roadblock and saying no to this. <laughs> and I actually have a, a friend who um, she actually passed away back in January and she used to say, don't say yes to the things you don't want. And that's a big one. And I learned it in that moment and I'm continuing to learn that, that if there's if, there, if, if things are pulling you in a direction, but you don't want them, don't say yes to them. That's how we get stuck going down a path we don't want to go down. So in, in that moment in my early 20s, I said no to a giant decision and a path in my life that I didn't want to go down. Um, no, it was Shay, scary. Yeah. And sorry to interrupt you there, but yeah. I just want to say that you, I think you posted before about your friend on Instagram and that quote, something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And it came at a point in my life when you posted it, that it was so important for me to hear that message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's odd because it sounds like an obvious thing in a way. It almost sounds obvious. You know, some of the best truths, they sound so crystal clear and obvious. Like, right. why would you say yes to something you don't want? Mm -hmm. But how many times in small, tiny ways in our life, yes. And in big, humongous ways, do we say yes to something we don't want? So mm -hmm. I just wanted to pause on that for a minute because it sounds like it felt profound to you. It definitely felt profound to me when you posted it. And it, you're right. It's such a good thing to just keep in mind in the small and big ways, not to say yes to things we don't want that we're going to keep calling that in. Or And I love that you were offered this is, and I've heard this for other people too in their lives. I love that you were offered a beautiful path to take of security, mm. safety with women you liked working with. Like, I love that you were offered this beautiful package because a lot of times in our life, it's having to say no to something that looks really shiny and good to prove to ourselves our mm. drive and our desire and our passion for something else. And sometimes the saying no, it sort of reminds me in this moment of like, 
if you're swimming laps, that moment where you kick and push off the wall. I don't know if you've ever done that, but sometimes when I was little, I used to love to do like a somersault turn and like push off the wall (laughs) and like there's a pushing off. And that's sort of the energy I'm feeling in this moment around if saying no to a big thing like that. And I love that dichotomy that I'm sure she's expecting you to jump up and down and be grateful and thankful, you know, and and just be so excited. Right. I think the good news is it was such a great offer that you had to match that energy with a no. You have to match the no. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that can fuel you. So that's what I'm thinking about. And I just want to say, I, I love that. And I think it's profound. And, and thank you for, for bringing that up for us. Yeah. And I think it, the universe almost had to give me a big enough thing that really forced me to question it, really forced me to say, are you sure you want to go after this whole writing dream? Because here's another path and I'm going to open all the doorways over here. I'm going to make it real enticing. So that it's going to be very hard to say no to that because I could have said yes and I could be working there still today. And that's not to say that path wouldn't have been great for some people. For some people, that would have been an amazing opportunity. But I think at that point in my life, that was the universe saying, you've got to make your decision. You've got to decide, are you really going to just put everything into chasing the dream you really want? Or are you going to go this way? Because here it is. This is well, easy. Here's the, yeah, here's the thing I want to just circle back on too to see if I understood you correctly. Yeah. So what I think I also understood you saying is your parents, who are very supportive, obviously, mm-hmm. and your boyfriend, now husband, mm-hmm. all of those people were encouraging you to take that job. Right. And what I want to just reflect back to in that moment is any time in my life or in other people's lives that I hear about certain things, you have to also be willing to not listen to other people, not Mm -hmm. out of defiance or other things, but it's out of listening to your own inner being. And that the fact that these are supportive people in your life and they wanted the best and and the path sounds great. And and, um, it also, when you say the universe made you decide, I'm also feeling that I I sort of had the chills because it also isn't just making you have to decide, but also having to say no to those around you who are telling you, this sounds like a great opportunity. So is there any more that you wanted to say around that? Or is that just sort of kind of the end all of that, like kind of point there? Yeah, I think, I think that the big takeaway there was that the answer really lied with me. I could have taken the advice of the people around me who I trusted and loved and who really only wanted the best for me. And they saw this as the best option opportunity at that moment. But the big one was trusting, trusting my gut and trusting my intuition. And I can, I can get advice from all those people around me. We all do that. But it's about looking inward and say, but ultimately, I'm the one who has to live that life. I'm the one then that has to wake up every day and say, did I make the right choices in my life? And when I look back on my past self in that moment, and I see where I'm at today, I just, it's, I often think back on my earlier versions of myself with such gratitude, like, thank you. Thank you, 20-year-old me who didn't give up on the dream. Because if she had, the present day me wouldn't be where I am today. So I really have to thank myself for those decisions I make because I, you know, we were all different people at different points in our lives. And sometimes I use that same 
that same energy and I, I put that forward to my future self. And I like to say, thank you to my future self for the things you haven't done yet, but I know you're going to do. I don't know what you're going to face, but I want to send you energy now and say that you're strong enough to deal with whatever it is. And I want to send you gratitude now for the decisions you're going to make. I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. I don't know who I'm going to be, but I, I have to send gratitude out in both directions because we, all of that stuff got us to where we are today. And I really, yeah. yeah no, I really love, I love that so much thinking about the versions of you that, um, the versions of you that, like you said, were different in the, in the past and are going to be different in the future. I think about that so much, especially during this time, um, mm -hmm. because I'm wanting to be a newer version of myself in different ways. Like, take lessons that I've learned and, and integrate them and noticing yeah. how things change and how wonderful that is, that the Shay who I'm knowing now is different and can really reflect back on that. And I wanted to take one another, another path just for one second, because I know we have more yeah. to say about all of this, but you mentioned how you were meditating at the time and about mm -hmm. introspection and what I'm going to just say, self-trust. You were saying trust, you know, trust, the trust in the universe, trust in, but also just taking time and mm -hmm. I was wondering, what does it mean to you to have time by yourself, whether it's called meditation or whether someone might think of it as just a hike in the woods? Can mm -hmm. you just explain to me the role that that plays in your life? Why is it important? Why are you glad you had it back then? If you mm -hmm. can imagine what it would be like without it, like, is there a way to differentiate? Why is this so important to you? Yeah, it, I think some of it, at least for me, stems from I was an only child, and so for me, solitary time is where I go to reset and to feel centered with myself. Um, and so I think I, I, I gravitated towards practices of, of meditation. And, and going back to my early years, I was reading books on Zen Buddhism when I was in middle school and grade school, because those were the books that were on our shelf. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm so grateful to have that exposure at such a young age and that some of those principles were sort of with me as I was growing up. Um, and yeah, in my twenties, I really, because I felt so, um, set adrift as many people do at, in your early twenties and I wasn't sure which direction I was going. And so I really used that meditation time and that solitary time to help guide and direct where I was going. And it's still important to me today, you know, in my daily writing practice, um, when I feel stuck or I feel stressed or I have a looming deadline, the most important self-care that I can do for myself is going outside, usually, um, going on a walk by myself. I often will even talk aloud to myself. Um, Sometimes oh, I'm, I'm so glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Helpful. Yeah. And, and sometimes I'm on public trails and, and I see someone coming and I, you know, quickly, quickly quiet my, my outer dialogue. Um, but it's, I think it's also speaking out loud as a way of taking yourself outside of your human body and you're speaking to yourself as a friend or, um, you know, as a confidant, as someone who's helping to guide you. And nobody knows our inner workings more than ourselves. So who can give us better advice than ourselves? 
But I think to try and sit in silence sometimes and have that dialogue is not as easy, whereas speaking out loud sort of allows you to separate the two minds and talk yourself through something. Um, as wacky as that can seem if you pass somebody uh, who's doing that. But that's, that's been a big important part of both just navigating life, but also navigating my stories and storytelling and writing books. Um, I talk through my plots and my character development aloud. And most of my best ideas have come in those moments of just sort of saying it and getting it out there. You're also, um, you're less tied to the outcome. I can, I can talk through storylines and it can be as outrageous as I want it to be. As soon as you write it down, it feels a little more permanent and like you're stuck with it. <laughs> do you so, carry a notebook then or do you feel like you don't need to when you're talking it out like that? Um, I, I used to carry a notebook. Now I just use my phone, you know, welcome to technology, but it's smaller, more lightweight and, I, and it's endless. I can sort of type on it and walk and talk at the same time. So I do use that. I also use voice notes sometimes. Um, I'm notorious if I'm going on a driving trip that's longer than 15 minutes, which for me and where I live, it takes 25 minutes to get to the grocery store. So just a trip to the grocery store means I'm going to have at least half a dozen story ideas. So I am notorious for pulling over on the side of the road half a dozen times, writing down a note, getting back on and, and driving. So people hate riding with me because it takes me forever to get anywhere. You, for, you know what? I'm so happy to hear that, Shay, because I have ideas too that come up for me depending on what project I'm working on while I'm driving. And I literally don't know what to do because I know I, I want to be safe. And I know that there, sometimes I think the ideas that you need will stick. Like there's, there's a time where it's like, you know, be mindful about things, like pay attention. If it's an important idea, it will come back. But as writers, we also know that sometimes you do feel like you've lost an idea. Like you had it, you wanted it, you loved it, and you lost it. And, and I know what that feels yeah. like as well. So I love that idea about the driving, the pulling over. Like if you're in a car for a certain amount of time, those ideas will start flowing and you need to pull over. And so I have tried to think of like the safest way. So you're right. Like sometimes I'll pull over and just try to do a voice note quickly or something like that. But I love hearing, yeah. having that thing in common about ideas, not just when you're walking, but especially on on roads when you when you have these beautiful trees around you I'm imagining your roads yeah. are so beautiful and where I live they're so beautiful so I'm seeing the trees I'm being inspired by nature and then I start boom having these ideas and uh, they're they're worth writing down so you don't I also love having ideas that way because it almost sounds better than if I just try to sit on my chair at home and wait for them or something like if you get a good enough idea you might as well write it down Right. Well, and I feel like, yeah, ideas aren't always going to come to you while you're sitting in your home or your office. You have to go out and, and snag them and catch them and pull you pull them down from the treetops because <laughs> there's ideas out there flitting around and we have to go go get them. I have these uh, fantasies of self-driving cars some days and being able to just sit in my car and go on a long road trip and being able to freely write. I'll probably just take my laptop. <laughs> start writing all my books in the car. <laughs> That's such a cool idea. That just made me think about maybe going to New York City sometime and taking one of those horse-drawn carriage rides. Just have a notebook. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes, that's that's a magical setting right there. <laughs> that sounds so cool. Well, thank you for talking about that. I love when we have things in common. You and I have talked about that before, you know, just things yeah. that, that we notice we do and things that I don't know if other people 
I mean, like, I love that the story you were telling us about you talking out loud to yourself and what that really means and, and right. driving and having to pull over. I mean, and this, I love the idea that you were just saying about creative ideas and catching them. It really reminds me what comes up in my ma- my mind when you say that. And I feel like your words are so evocative. What comes up in my mind is like kind of skipping around on a spring day with a butterfly net. Mm. Kind of not that I've ever run around catching butterflies, but just this beautiful way of thinking about like sparkling ideas, you know, kind of flitting around and trying to trying to wrestle those down with a beautiful net and then capturing them somehow and sharing yeah, with others. It's really I beautiful. love that. I, I've always been of the belief that um, stories exist before they're actually on the page and that they don't entirely come from the synapses in my mind, but that they exist. And I, I don't fully understand in what form or how, but I, I truly believe that stories already exist. They're just looking and waiting for the right person to tell their tale. And I really felt that when I was actually writing my debut book, The Wicked Deep. And it was about um, three sisters who were sentenced to death for witchcraft in 1822, and they were drowned in the harbor by the townspeople. And when I was writing that book, I kept having the sense that I wouldn't be surprised if I discovered at some point there were these three sisters who had existed who had the same names because their names just came into my mind in a flash when I was writing the very first page of that book. And throughout that, that entire writing process, I kept coming back to that sense and that feeling that I feel like the story already existed. I just was given the opportunity to tell it and write it down. And I also think that's part of the magic making that is storytelling. There's, there's more going on there, I think, than what we, we truly realize. Um, obviously, I'm inspired by different settings and the things around me, but oftentimes my stories come to me fully packaged as if they were a box left on my front doorstep and all the bits and pieces were there. I just had to assemble it. And I, every time I write a book, I have that same sense that like this story existed well before me. It's interesting that you say that, Shay, because I, I hear a lot of writers say that same thing about stories. So the books that I've written, a lot of the ones that I've published are not stories like this. They're more kind of almost like mm-hmm. how-tos kind of books. So mine right. are different in that. But, but story, so when I, I have written stories and, and never had the intention of publishing them, I do it for fun kind of on the side. But when I talk to authors like yourself, they say the same thing. And one of my favorites, I might've told you this before, but just for me to put it out there for anyone else who's interested is I love to read plays. I love to see plays, but I love to read them. And there's a play by Luigi Pirandello and it's called Six Characters in Search of an Author. And it is one of my favorite plays of all time. And it gives me, again, I, I have sort of, I always have the chills when I talk to people that I kind of feel excited about yeah. it and friendship about. I sort of have a chills like telling you about this because I, I think you would really love this book so very much. Not only just for that premise, but it's a whole play, which is amazing, really literally about that these characters exist and they're looking for that author. And in the play, you get to see the character, like you see the characters like in full flesh. And so the person's trying to explain, no, these are the, we're characters, we're not the actors. And they're like, you can't be. And then they try to explain how they're the characters and there's a story living in them. And then 
anyway, it's just really fascinating. It sounds very meta as people say now, which we did say then it's meta theater, like it is meta theater, but now it's almost popular to say like something so meta. So if you find this play somewhere, look, I mean, it's Italian, but it's in English also. It's called Six Six Characters in Search of an Author. And it's really talking about that same idea and it's beautiful. And I almost wrote, uh, I wrote a paper on uh, film adaptation that I would love to make of that story because I think there's so many things you could do on film with it. But just yeah. an idea, I'm just bringing it up because I think you you would love that. And anyone else who's really interested in that idea of thinking about stories existing before and waiting for this magical transmission with an author to kind of bring them to life. So thank Ugh. you for sharing that because I think it's a universal feeling for a lot of writers. Yeah, I agree. And that that play sounds incredible. I'm definitely going to go find that because that that sounds exactly like what I'm I'm trying to just dig into more that idea um, and find more literature about it because there are a lot of people talk about it, but very um, it's sort of just a feeling that people have. But I'm curious to dig into that more and see if early writers and novelists and screenwriters and um, playwriters were having that same sense. Someday, someday we'll do a study about it and find, oh yes, we've, we've learned that stories actually live right here. And <laughs> this is where you can go pick one up. It's so cool. I love hearing that. So Shay, I wonder, I feel as though I cut you off to take you down some other paths. So was there more that you wanted to now talk about, about, we heard about your 10 year old self and uh-huh. then there was a time. So the, the interesting choices that you made about not taking the career path as it was laid out for you. And then is (laughs) there, is there more to the story about, you know, finally, as you just said, you know, getting to write Mm -hmm. the Wicked Deep, how it came to you and and then getting published. Is there more you'd like to tell us about that? Yeah. So it was many years after my accounting job option um, was presented to me that I finally found a literary agent. I was lucky enough to get offers from three literary agents and chose a wonderful woman who has become an ally and a friend. And we've been together for 10 years now. And, um, but I wrote several more books with her before we were able to find a publisher to buy one of my books. And that became The Wicked Deep which originally was called Waves and Wonders. um, And it got a retitle when I sold the book, which happens often. Um, And then I wrote Winterwood. And Winterwood was my second young adult book, which came out last November. And after that, I started writing my um, next book, which was my adult fiction book. And at the time, I actually... Uh, didn't, hadn't sold that book. I had no publisher or editor for that book. So it was a little scary to go out on a limb and start writing this adult fiction novel. Um, It would have been a lot easier to write another young adult book, of course. But I um, felt called to write that story, sort of going back to what we were talking about. That was the story that wanted to be told. And I have learned to honor that and to follow my intuition when it says this is the next story to write. So I wrote that book um, for several months. You know, we entered into 2020. No one knew what 2020 was going to look like (laughs) this year, what it's turned into. Um, But I was writing that book and feeling a little nervous when 2020 started because uh, I did not have another book slated to be published. And I didn't yet have a home for that book. Um, I finished that book in March, I believe, February, March, and um, my agent sent that out to 
publishers. It's called Shopping Around. So she goes and shops um, my book around and sends it to several editors at publishers who she thinks might be interested in that in that story. And I was lucky enough to um, sell that book pretty fast. We found a home who also happened to be at Simon & Schuster, where I already was, um, but with a different editor. And um, so I was really thrilled, sold that book. And then, of course, you know, uh, COVID happened and I was put into quarantine like everybody else. But I suddenly realized I had this uninterrupted time on my hands and I've never had that before in my writing career. So I was able to sit down and I started writing my next young adult book. And I wrote that book. Um, I wrote the first draft in one month, which is the fastest I've ever written anything again. It probably won't ever happen again. And wrote that book, polished it up. Um, my agent took that book and we sold that one pretty quick, um, along with another story, which I haven't written yet, but we, it's called, you, you sell it a, a, an option book. And so it means you've sold another book that doesn't exist. You don't have a story idea for it. You don't know what it's going to be, but a publisher says, I want to publish your next book. Um, and then I was also approached by another publishing company, um, on a project I, I can't talk about quite yet, but with, um, an idea to write a book based on a movie that already exists in the world. It's about all I can say. And I accepted that offer as well. And so I came into 2020 with no book deals, having no idea when my next book would be published. And now I have four books um, that are slated to come out within a few months time. So, you know, it just shows you, you really have no idea what's going to be behind the next door. I trusted my gut and wrote the book I wanted to write and somehow ended up here. So um, I just keep coming back to finding gratitude in all of that. As overwhelmed as I am and as many deadlines as I have looming. <laughs> yeah, I was, so I, there's one thing I just want to clarify also that yeah. I think is so interesting and it has a lot to do with trust, Shay, a lot to do with trust. Mm. Are, just to clarify, so are you saying that when you, so you went into 2020 and I understand you're saying you didn't have any book deals, like that I understand. Yeah. So are you saying, this sounds like you are, but I just want to clarify <laughs> that you wrote an entire book, you mm-hmm. wrote an entire book without knowing if it was going to be published. So meaning right. you put your time and your energy in a book with nothing at all. And then you shopped that book around. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And when you say it like that, I realized the anxiety <laughs> that I felt in that moment. Cause yeah, it was, it was scary. It was, it was not an easy thing to do. You know, when you become an author, it's very easy to continue on the path you've been on. Um, I could have easily written another young adult book and my existing editor would have said, yep, thank you very much. We will now publish that. But something was telling me I wanted to go write this other story and I knew it was a risk. I knew I could write the entire thing and no publisher could want it or would want it. And it might just end up in a drawer in my office and no one could ever see that story again. And I would have wasted, you know, all those months of work on it, um, let alone not having a paycheck coming in. You know, that's the other thing people don't often realize with being an author and doing it full time is your only paycheck comes in with the next book you write. Um, you know, there are no guarantees really. 
Now, except when you get to when you're Stephen King, <laughs> there are some guarantees. Um, when it but, sounds yeah. like you're getting there once you get an option for a book, once people are like, oh, I'll buy your next book, you know, I mean, that's pretty cool. But I'm glad yeah. that we just stopped on the anxiety just for a minute, because yeah. I really think what what is important for people to just hear in that process, and I'm not prescribing that people do this or don't do this, but this idea that you went for it, again, you trusted your intuition. It wasn't like someone said to you, you didn't even write one chapter. It's just, I'm just repeating what you said when you said like wasted all that time. You know, yeah. just, it sounds like the focus that you had was not focusing on the anxiety or the what ifs or the what if this doesn't happen. The focus mm -hmm. was on, let's just do this creative thing. Let's get it out. This is what's been calling me to do. This is the path that I've chosen before where I followed my intuition. I'm just going to mm -hmm. work on this and see what happens. There, there's a difference. And you're saying that you didn't, you weren't absent of anxiety. It wasn't that I, it wasn't that anxiety was absent from the process. Right. Yes. No, that's a great point. It's, it's not that you feel so like foolishly blinded to any of the downside to what you're doing. It's not that I trusted my intuition so wholly that I woke up each morning <laughs> skipping down to my office thinking everything's going to be absolutely fine. I knew that there was a big risk, but look, that's also, that's the, that's the job when you follow your curiosity or your creativity, there are no guarantees when you sit down to do anything, when you sit down to chase your dream or follow whatever creative energy is pulling you towards a direction. All you're agreeing to is I'm going to go with you on this journey and we're going to write this story. I don't know how it's going to end up, but I know that my intuition is saying this is the place I'm supposed to go. And I trusted it enough to keep doing it, to write that book to the very end, even though, like you said, that's a great, that's a great observation that I still was a little terrified that it might not work out how I hoped it would. Um, thankfully, it had a good outcome, but that's not to say the next book I write isn't going to end up living in a drawer somewhere. I feel like you're going to be after this podcast, be like, thanks for having me on, Heidi. Now I'm full with anxiety and trauma over everything. But I'm really just trying to translate what you're saying for people who haven't been you know, in your position, I'm not trying to be like, weren't you anxious? Weren't you scared? Weren't you terrified? Talk about that. It's just because I think you're, you're not living in that place of that terror or that, that kind of thing. So that's why I'm just trying to help translate to people who don't always trust their intuition, because the thing that I want to say, and I'd, I'd love to know your feedback on this is when I think about following our intuition versus not, I really feel that if you don't follow your intuition, it really is not good for your health. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a nutritionist. I, I work with them and I, I have them on podcasts and things. And, mm -hmm. but I, I feel that it's very detrimental for your health. And I want to pause first and say, I'm not giving anyone advice right now to say, quit your job, or you know, I'm not telling you what to do. I would not recommend that you put yourself in any kind of difficult situation. Your intuition will tell you what's safe and what's not enough. But just the yes. point that if you don't in some at least small way, listen to and, and follow your intuition, it can be really unhealthy. So do you have any reflection on that or agreement or disagreement about that? No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, you're right to say that not always our circumstances in life allow us to blindly chase after some dream to go be a piano player, but you can 
sit down and follow what your intuition is telling you is the right direction. Now, again, like we're all in different circumstances. I worked so many jobs in my life just trying to pay the bills. Much of my writing happened in the two hours I had in the evening before I went to sleep um, or a weekend break that I had. But you're right in that following your intuition is always going to feel better in your heart and in your soul. And, and that's not to say it's going to be easy. It's not that the chasing your intuition path is the yellow brick road, roses and rainbows path. Sometimes your intuition leads you through some tough stuff because that's, those are the things you need to learn to get to where you're going. Um, but it never steers you wrong. And times in my life where I have resisted it aren't times when I felt good, but what you're saying, both physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, I'm fighting something, I'm resisting something. And when I finally settle into go the path that your intuition is saying, this is right. It might not feel easy. It might not feel like the best path to go on today, but trust me when I tell you, when we get to the other side, you're going to appreciate how you got here. But it, and that can be hard and scary too. I mean, like none of this is just easy. It's, it, is, it is trusting that part of yourself and that voice in you that is always there. We just often tune it out and it's work. I mean, I, I, I definitely work at it every day and having those conversations with myself and coming up with little rituals in the evening to talk to my intuition and, and thanking my intuition for helping to guide me. And, and sometimes I'm really lost and I ask my intuition for a path and it's, it's silent. It says nothing. And I'm like, Hey, are you still there? <laughs> Is anyone home? <laughs> but it, it's, it's, and usually that means it's not about the answer yet. I need you to sit with the question longer. I'm not ready to tell you which direction to go in. I need you to sit here where it's uncomfortable for a little bit longer is usually I, what that means. I love that, Shay. I really do. And I, I think that's so important to acknowledge that those moments where we don't have an answer yet are actually so important. There's something else going on and it's not time for the answer yet. And mm -hmm. there's no real other way to explain it other than what you said. And that there's times where it's, it's really stillness and you don't have the answer yet. And then when it comes, it all makes sense why there had to be a period of not having the answer. But I love that you're sort of have this image of like knocking on intuition's door and be like, like there's no one home right now, even though there's kind of a reason behind that. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. Ugh. I've taken you on a lot of tangents because I love to just keep diving deep into the process and how you think and feel and what you've experienced. And what I'd love to know is there, is there sort of, is there anything that we've missed in the story? So we've got, we've gotten kind of up to the point of of Winterwood, we've gotten up to the point of 2020 and COVID and all that uncertainty, which I'm glad I've just reminded you of because it sounds like I've <laughs> helped you dive back into that. But but then this wonderful idea that now there's an abundance and there's this level of abundance where, meaning there's so many projects <laughs> that you could also look at that and be overwhelmed. Recently, mm -hmm. you were talking about how you were waiting for your notebooks to come so you could start planning all these projects. <laughs> But instead, again, shifting and reframing that overwhelm, it's like, this is what you asked for. This is what you were hoping for, like to have a lot of projects and now you have them. And yeah. so you're, you're shifting and just keep being grateful and grateful because an interesting trap that people can get into, and I'll include myself, it's not fair to say, and other people only is when something feels like it's more fallow, like I like to think of the fallow times in my life as more like the winter times where 
not to get worried or upset, but I can rest more than take care of myself more knowing that something is going to come around the corner where I'm going to have to push harder. So enjoy those fallow moments, those fallow times with hope that something's going to come around the corner. So we could spend our lives being so worried in the fallow times and then being so overwhelmed in the abundant times and then so wor- and then just shifting from one really hard feeling to the next. So working with how to allow those feelings to be there but also try to have joy in each time. So enjoy the fallow times a bit and try to not get too anxious and then enjoy the the bountiful times because this is what we were asking for in the fallow times. Does that resonate with, with you at all? Is that how 2020 might've felt a little bit to you so far? Yeah, I mean, welcome to the human experience, right? Just these se- severe ups and downs. And whenever you're in a moment, you, you are thinking ahead to the future, won't it be great when? Won't things be easier when? I'm finally gonna be able to do all the stuff I wanna do when I get to next year or when I don't have this job anymore or, you know. Um, yeah, and and I, knowing that, I often, whenever I'm feeling one of those emotions, I try to, again, take myself outside of my human body and say, look, what you're feeling is just a feeling and emotion and let's find gratitude for where we're at. But I also think navigating that, and you and I've talked about this, is that idea of uh, discipline and finding ways through the work you have to do by setting up some routine and and guidelines for yourself you know making art and getting paid for it is a challenging place to be in Um, like many artists you have this really grandiose idea of you wake up every morning and you drink your tea and you put on your robe maybe and you (laughs) wander around your house listening to records and creating art whether that's you know, painting or scrapbooking or writing, whatever it is. Um, The reality is you also have to pay your bills. And so (laughs) to make art while also on a deadline has been an interesting experience for me. A lot of writers say um, the book you will love the most is always your debut book because you wrote that without any deadlines, without any expectations, without any readers waiting and hoping for a certain type of story Um, and I know that to be true now for myself. Um, but I do, I have created a lot of discipline for myself. I don't take it lightly that I was granted this beautiful, amazing gift to be able to do the thing I love, because I know there are a lot of people out there who don't get to do that. And so, um, I take it very seriously and I do try to create these sort of light, Um, ethereal, whimsical moments in my day when I'm writing because I really want to lose myself in the story and that means disconnecting from, in a lot of ways, the human experience and my human brain, which can get in the way and I have to lose myself in my characters and live in their world for a while. Um, But it is about discipline. I wake up every day and I sit down and I, I write every single day and I You've probably seen me talk about this before, but when I try to force myself to take a day off or a weekend off, it's very hard for me because I've trained my brain now that every day I get up and I create worlds and stories and to wake up and not do that actually feels um, like I'm missing a part of myself 
it's actually not good for my mental health to not be writing now because it's become such an important part of my day. Um, but I also have a quote that I keep above my desk and I look at this quote every single day and it says that the dream is free, but the hustle is sold separately. And I take that very seriously too. A lot of us have a lot of dreams, but the only way I'm going to be able to keep this dream alive is if I sit down every single day and I hustle and I write and I work um, because it's not, it's not going to be handed to me. And there's always someone else waiting in the wings, ready to take my spot. Someone else who's fighting and really wants to have a book deal. And if I don't, if I don't keep writing, there's a lot of people behind me who would love where I'm at. So, um, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a balance between writing, creating the art and creating the headspace that allows for that while also giving myself a structure and saying there is a deadline coming up. That thing is due in a month. So you better sit down and actually put words on the page. <laughs> I love that. Shay, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that too. It's so wonderful because I've learned because I've had many different jobs in my life as well. Mm-hmm. And I've just, I've learned how different it is to work with writers, people who write versus, I mean, we're all different and we all have different aspects and sides to ourselves. But there's something that I've really come to appreciate about working with people who write, who Mm -hmm. have to try to learn how to cultivate a balance between letting themselves be in a more, I'm just going to say magical space, like letting themselves be in a more magical space, but Mm -hmm. being able to reel it in and say, I have to hit this deadline. And I have found, I'm just saying in my experience, I don't know if this is true for others, but I have found that if I work with people who are used to being a writer, they are the ones who will not miss a deadline they will show up on time. They will hit it. And some, at least those are the writers I know. So even if a writer could be someone who writes even more magical stories or whatever, you tell them to be here at a certain time, they're there. You tell them that this is when your pages do. doesn't matter if it's short, long, or in between. They don't make an excuse. And again, they're, of course, right. there are times, right? Like if somebody gets super sick, maybe they would. But I'll tell sure. you, I haven't had a writer miss the deadline and I haven't missed deadlines. And I really have spent time looking at that because I kept wondering, why do I sometimes work with people who will balk at a deadline or, or make me move it? Or and, they, and, and when I have a publishing deadline, I have a publishing date. So it's just interesting. Yeah. So I've had people even say to me, well, we can move that date. And I said, you can't. And they'll say, I'll talk to the printer. And I'm just, I just wait till they finally talk to the printer and the printer <laughs> tells them again, move it. And then they have to hustle, you know, four times as hard. So I just right. want to say thank you for sharing about the work side and the creative side. And before we kind of wrap this up, do you feel like there was there was any any detail in there or any more nuggets of wisdom that we might have skipped over? Because I, I pulled you off into different tangents. No, I thought that was great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you're, you're very right about deadlines and writers because ultimately they put deadlines in our contracts. So there is a hard date sitting in a contract that you signed that says you will deliver on this date. So to go back and say, hey, probably not going to get it done on time, that's a big deal. That involves multiple meetings that they have internally, and they're talking to the printers, and it's, it's not a simple thing. I think what people also don't really know in publishing is that publishing operates two years out ahead. So they know every single book that's going to be released every single week from now till the next two years out from here. So... 
they've decided what day your book is going to get published on. And then they backtrack from there and, and make the decision of, okay, we need to have our cover art by this time. You know, we need to have pages printed by this point. It's, it's all calculated. So when a writer decides that they want an extra month because they're just really chasing their muse, publishing goes, uh-uh. <laughs> That's cute that you think you can push it, but nope, we're going to go ahead and need that book. <laughs> so it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. I think maybe it used to in publishing. Um, writers had a little more leeway, but anymore, it's a business and it's a big machine. And there's a lot of players and a lot of people involved in it. It's not just me. So it's, it's not an easy task to move your deadline. <laughs> I love that idea because you really also show that while people might glamorize the writer, like think like, oh, I want to be a writer because look at this writer and look at this writer. And you, and you realize sometimes as an author or a writer that you are, you're important, you're essential, you're the one who writes it, but yet in the big picture that's, that's marketing and that's the world and that's financial and contracty and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. you are one little piece, even though obviously it sounds like you're the essential piece, but to other, to the reader, but right. to yourself, you're aware that you're a piece of a, such a huge project and mechanism that yeah. you don't have the authority to muck about or you don't have the authority to change things. Right. And you also don't want that reputation in the industry. If you become the author who is always pushing deadlines and that's affecting everyone in the chain, you know, including your publicist and your marketing team and everybody who's lined up all of these things, that's no. <laughs> not a place I want to be at. So I'm, I'm pretty strict about making deadlines. In fact, I like to um, turn things in early so that they think, oh, good, she's given us, you know, an extra week or an extra few days. I really try to be the star student. I also decided early on, I thought, you know, even if I can't be the best, most talented author out there, I'm sure as crap going to be the hardest working. So I knew that was something I could really control. And I wanted to show the team of people who are working with me that I was part of their team and that I I understood we were all working together. And it wasn't just about me over here writing my stories and that it wasn't, I didn't just live in a bubble over here. (laughs) Although sometimes that sounds nice. (laughs) No, well, Shay, I love it. You know, I just want to say that for me, your mixture as a human and as a writer, mixing this magical sense that is so mysterious about being alive with the facts of having deadlines and hard things to worry about, just the way that you dance between this. I love to hear about it. I, I've heard new things from you today that I've never heard you say before that are inspiring for me to hear. And it's just really, really great to hear about all of this. And so for me and for other people, I would love for you to talk to us about, again, what we can look forward to that if you could just remind us the things that you're allowed to remind us about and (laughs) ways that people could follow you or learn more about you so that they can just continue to hear your great stories and see your great posts or whatever else. Oh, yeah. Um, So yeah, my next adult book, which now you guys know the story of how that came to be, um, will come out next fall of 2021. And it's called A History of Wild Places. 
Um, I do believe you can add it on Goodreads if you're on Goodreads and it should be available for pre-order soon up on Amazon. We're just waiting on the cover to be released, which is always so exciting. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram. Um, I am on Twitter, although not as much anymore. Um, I really spend a lot of my time on Instagram where I share just a lot about my daily life and um, I share things in my stories about what I'm working on and my writing, um, what kind of tea I'm drinking but it's a good place to keep up to date with um, what I have going on. You can also sign up for my newsletter there too, which I send out very rarely, only when I have something exciting happening, but there is a newsletter. <laughs> this is great. Well, Shay, thank you so, so much. I am so excited. I know I'll get some great feedback after people listen to this podcast and I'll, I'll tell you the kinds of wonderful things they say. And I'm so grateful for our friendship and grateful that you follow your intuition. Oh, thank you so much, Heidi. I love this today. Thank you.